Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Is that working? Sort of. It sounds really horrible and tinny. I'll swap mics. <clears throat> Great. Well, it's good, to, um, it's good to see you. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about this passage, but in a context, really. Many of you are aware that um, I recently went away on retreat. Um, they try to encourage the bishop and the kind of bishop's panel, that sort of thing, try and encourage clergy, vicars to get away on retreat, you know, once a year. And I think for the last three years, uh, I never really made it. But I was kind of determined this year, at the end of this kind of nearly being in Wickham a year, to actually take some time out. And for me, there's all sorts of different kind of retreats we can do. I think retreats are a really good thing to do for, for us all, whether that can be a day out or a, a kind of weekend, if you're lucky. I was very blessed to the staff team here kind of team managed to give me some space to be able to take um, five days out. And for me, my idea of a perfect retreat really is to go walking with God, somewhere with lots of hills, lots of um, space, uh, and not lots of people. So I uh, escaped up to Scotland. I think I've got a photo that I can show you the type of place where I was walking. Uh, it was quite foggy, as you can see. <laughs> Uh, it may appear in a minute. I mean, it's, it's mountains, basically. So if you can imagine what mountains look like, they look like that. Um, uh, and uh, so I went to the Highlands up in Scotland and just had a fantastic day. I guess as I was heading on retreat, it's, you kind of hope that when you're away, there'll be a kind of moment where uh, God just sort of downloads. Have, who's seen the film Matrix? The Matrix. There we go. Look, there's a, there's a hillside. It was actually quite foggy, quite misty. Seen the film The Matrix? Any of you? Lots of you get bits of your. There's the bit where um, um, they they kind of want to learn to fly a helicopter, don't they? And he can't fly a helicopter, so they sort of just download, and he kind of downloads, and now he can fly a helicopter. And kind of part of me went on retreat thinking, okay, God, there's all sorts of plans for the the parish here. I'm vicar of the parish, got this big church building, the other church, community of people that's growing, people who kind of really saying, okay, God, what do we do next? We're really excited. And you kind of go away on retreat and think, well, maybe, Lord, it would be really great if you just download the next 15 years' plans for Whitcomb, uh, for revival in Bath and the nation, and we'll just plug into that and get on with it. That would be really super, God. Thank you very much, please. Amen. Uh, um, and that didn't really happen when I was away. There wasn't. And, and there was a kind of growing sense of um, being there and walking. And I had this sense that as I walked, God would walk with me. And there'd been some prophetic words that had been shared about God walking with me and sending angels to walk with me. And, and there was a real sense of God's presence around. But I have to be honest, as the days went past, and I was looking at the end, getting closer, there was a growing sense of anxiety that coming back, people would say, what did God say to you? And I'd go, I don't know, not much really. Um, let me just make something up that sounds very spiritual. Uh, it, it, ludicrous, isn't it? But this kind of sense of, God, seriously, you had better speak to me, because I know my wife, who's been looking after three kids for like five days, if I come back and say, well, I just had a nice time walking in the hills, She'll want to kill me and not say, let me go on retreat again. Um, God was kind of busy smiling his way through all of that, of course. Um, but actually, I had, a, I had a wonderful time with God and a real sense, as I was kind of processing it during and afterwards, there was this kind of interesting time. As you can see, I went in the middle of June and there was snow on the hills. That came as a bit of a shock when I got to Scotland. Put the next picture up. Look, there it is there. It's that proper snow. That's not me photoshopping. Um, and the next one, like proper snow by the time I got there. And which kind of for me was so exciting. I was like, do I build a snowman? Do I have a snowball fight? There's no one to have a snowball fight with. Which was kind of good and not so good. Um, but I wanted to take a photo of it. Getting up onto the high places. 
Ever since I've been really small, and certainly when we've been married, I've been married 21 years this summer. It's amazing, isn't it? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know. I was a child bride. Well done, Sarah. Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah she needs more congratulations than me. But ever since we've been married, whenever it's a bane of her life, but whenever we go anywhere and there's a big mountain, I'm always, I want to get to the top of that mountain. Um, I, if I'm driving through a valley, I want to be at the top. If I'm walking along a road and there's a mountain in the distance, I want to go to the top of the mountain. And one particular day, when I was trekking up the mountain, I kind of sensed God say to me, Tim, why do you always want to go to the top of the mountain? Which literally kind of stopped me in my tracks, and I thought, it's a good question. I don't know, because by this point, I was nearly dying on my feet. I was pretty exhausted. And kind of had a conversation with God about that. Actually, in the Bible, there's lots about high places. It's where Moses met with God. It's where uh, Jesus went up on the mountain often to pray. What's that about? I don't fully understand. And yet there's something for me about being in the midst of creation on these mountaintops as you look out. There's something about perspective. When you're up on a mountain on your own, all of your problems, which are very real problems potentially, and, and issues and pressures and challenges, in the light of the creation all around you and the spectacle, you suddenly feel very, 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 very small. And the world feels kind of very big. And perhaps some of those problems feel small. And you just stand there and, you know, I remember standing on top of one of these mountains, uh, 3,000 foot up, and just Psalm 8 came, came to mind. You know, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the star, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? I remember standing on the edge of this mountain, looking at this snow beneath me, having gone through the snow line, thinking, God, who am I that you know me, that you care about me, my circumstance, my family, the church that I'm part of? You suddenly feel really small, but not in a really negative, insignificant way, but in a mind-numbingly, I can't believe that God cares for me when he's created all this. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Who is, who is man that you're mindful of him? But the truth is, God is mindful of him. And that's an incredible fact. God has got a heart for us and a plan for us. I think for me, when I was walking up in the mountain, God did begin to speak. Um, he st- certainly started speaking about the church. Not just this church, but the church. I remember walking across a mountain top, thinking, Lord, I, I want to get to the top of this mountain. I want to press through. I'm one of those really annoying people that when I see a mountain, I was aware that there were paths that went up to them. But I couldn't bring myself to walk up one of these paths. I would stand at the bottom of the mountain, I would look up and go, I'm going up there and I'm going to go some way. And I would make my own way up this path. And it was exhausting. Properly, properly exhausting. A step at a time. Freezing cold, but you're sweating loads. And you're trying to pick a path through a path where no one has perhaps walking. And you see a few sheep kind of paths. And you try walking on those. And you get into a really boggy bit. And you pick another bit. And you, you pick your own path. And it's exhausting. And yet you turn around and you feel like... You, and suddenly you realize, gosh, look how far we've come. It's a bit like that in the life of the church here. Sometimes we feel like we're not getting very far, but actually when you turn around and look where we've come, you think, wow, God, you're incredible. Your grace is amazing. You've really journeyed with us. You've taken us to a new place, an unexpected place. And it's not a trodden path that I feel God is calling us to walk on. It's a, it's, it's a new path. Uh, and that sometimes does take you to unexpected places. Um, I've got just a silly little video, really, but of me walking. This, this is me walking, just to prove that I did. Um, in my boots, and you're walking along and suddenly you hit snow, which is really kind of strange. In the middle of June, you're kind of not expecting to sort of be walking up a mountain and find snow. Well, I mean, you've looked ahead because you can see it. 
But there seemed to be something really strange about walking through snow. And suddenly the going got really hard. It was really, 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 well, slippery, uh, understandably. You can pause that there. That's fine. But for me, as I started walking and walking with God and trying to sense what he was saying, there was a particular point where I was up really high on this mountaintop walking across a, a bank. And I found myself praying for the church, this church, but more the church in, in, the, in the city and the church in the nation. And I found myself shouting at God. Not in a bad way, but something rose up within me. And I thought to myself, Lord, I don't want to just do church anymore. I've done church all my life. And there's been wonderful times of church and wonderful expressions of all sorts of shades. Anyone knows a bit about me will know, you know, Baptist church and free church and independent church and swinging from the chandeliers, charismatic church and house church and home church and big church and Anglican church and I've done them all I'm thankful to God for all of them but you know what as great as they've been here we are in 2015 and our country's in real trouble and there's thousands of people all around us who have no idea who Jesus is and our churches are packed some of them full of Christians who are having a wonderful wonderful time but actually there's a whole bunch of people out around us who probably never have any contact with the gospel and have no access points to find out about the family of God. And actually I can't just do nice church. If that's all I'm called to, then Lord, take me home now because actually I don't want to just perpetuate nice church because if we look at the nation, Jesus is building the church. But so often we get in the way of maybe what he wants to build and we try to build it in our own image or what we think it should be. I I guess I'm not called to just simply perpetuate church as it has been. What I feel called to is to shape and build church that connects with the unchurched, the de-churched, those that have no idea about the church. God is at work out in the world and I believe we need to see where he's working and go and work with him. I I shared this quote that I found a little while ago with... um, a little team on, we were praying this week. There's a guy called um, Leonard Ravenhill. He was kind of like an evangelist in the UK, kind of crazy guy. He was really excited about revival and talked about revival and prayed about revival. revival. He was an evangelist, he was a writer. And he, he looks at the early church a lot. But he said this He said, The church used to be a lifeboat rescuing the perishing. Now she's a cruise ship recruiting the promising. I'll say that again. The church used to be a lifeboat rescuing the perishing. Now she's a cruise ship recruiting the promising. Now you can pull any kind of soundbite apart, but there's something in that that kind of chimed accord with me. That it's so easy to kind of make a lovely, glossy, shiny, wonderful church that lots of other Christians want to come to from other churches and they all begin to shift around and move from one church to the latest cool thing. But actually around us, There's people who don't know Jesus at all. And I didn't feel God saying this in a really challenging, in a rebuking kind of way, or me feeling like really angry at the church. But actually I just felt like this rising sense of God's calling us to make a difference. God's calling us to connect people to him and be part in partnership with his spirit. Because the truth is, he's already out there doing it. His spirit is already brooding around Whitcomb, reaching into homes that we don't know anything about. He's already touching lives, connecting with people, wanting to heal and minister and love. His spirit is moving. And the amazing call of God, I believe, to the church is to come and join in with what he's already doing. 
to step in step with him, to walk in step with him, to connect with what he's doing and to journey with him. And it's really, really exciting. It was really interesting, these guys talking about revival earlier. Um, Leonard Ravenhill, one of the other things he said was this. He said, the only reason we don't have revival is because we're willing to live without it. Quite challenging, really, isn't it? The only reason we don't have revival is because we're, li- we're willing to live without it. Now, again, I know it's, it's a great thing. If Tim West was here, he'd be tweeting that because it is a good one to tweet. <laughs> Maybe someone else will tweet it. But there's something in that that we are. It's really easy to settle and just think, well, you know what? We've got a good-sized church. What does that mean? Well, in different places it means different things. So for here it might mean 100, 150. Other churches, 200, 400, 600. We might think, we've got a great-sized church. God's doing great things. And of course God is doing great things because he's incredibly gracious. But it's easy at that point to just sit back and to settle and to be thankful for God doing those things. And then we just sort of stop moving. And we forget the call to share the good news with the world. We forget the call to reach out to reach out to the least, the last and the lost. We forget the passion of Jesus to go and be connecting. What was he called? Well, he was called friend of sinners, which by implication would mean that he was accessible to those outside of the kind of the the religious circles and that they regarded him as someone who they could call a friend. That's the challenge to us. How do we become friends of sinners? Sinners perhaps isn't the word that we would use in the context, but actually that's, we hear what God is saying with it. There's a phrase, isn't there? Carpe diem, seize the day. Not carping, as I once heard somebody say. It's kind of like fishing jeans, I suppose, isn't it? Really? But he's, he also said this. I've got three, three Leonard Ravenhill quotes. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. What I sense God saying to us is, We have this incredible opportunity in this community. God has planted us here as church. God has given this incredibly vast building. God has given us people with wonderful talents, people with passion, people with an increasing sense of how do we reach out into the community with God's love. An increasing sense of we don't just want to exist for ourselves, but we want to exist to share the love of God. And that God is calling us to step out to do that, beyond these walls. As Catherine really, you know, helpfully talks about the, the, the street pastors, you know, church outside of the walls, church without walls. God is calling us to be church in terms of being people, not building. Church is such a, a loaded word, isn't it? I know God has called me to plant new models of church. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Which is not massively helpful for a leader to say that to a congregation. But I know that that's what God has called me, to plant new models of church. I am passionate about church planting. We are going to plant from this church. But it's probably not church as you know it, or as I know it. Because if it's simply as we know it, then we're just going to simply replicate what's gone before, which is glorious and wonderful in the grace of God as it's been, hasn't really brought revival in this nation, has it? It hasn't transformed thousands of hearts and lives. The politics of the nation hasn't been turned back to godly kingdom living ways. The kingdom of God hasn't burst out in all areas. I think Jesus wants a church that's vibrant, that's alive, that's filled with his spirit, that reaches out, that embraces and draws in, that celebrates him like on a Sunday night here, but also goes and meets the lonely on Monday, that works in the businesses and the areas of politics 
that affects the banking situation, that breaks into schools and colleges. And we need to pray for that in our nation. I was reading a report this week, they're trying to get rid of worship in the schools in the UK. Now I said two years ago we're in a uniquely unparalleled situation in Europe where I can go in and talk about preach in a school. I can go and talk about what Christians believe and what I believe and what we see here on a Sunday night. We can go in and, and talk about Jesus and we can share gospel stories. We can do that in our schools because there's a state, uh, there's legislative power saying, you know, there needs to be an act of worship. Well, there's a growing voice to stop that in the UK now because of the power of secularisation and all sorts of things. Now, I'm not sure the church always does very helpful stuff in kind of worship in school, but it's a, it's a doorway, it's an opportunity that may soon close. We need to be alive to what's happening in our nation and to pray like these guys are praying and to take every opportunity that God presents to us. We have amazing opportunities in the local school in Beach and Cliff and in the, in the junior school here. We have incredible opportunities to uh, impact the businesses down here in Whitcomb and people have been, it's been really exciting. Going in and sharing the gospel and just hanging out and working with them and loving them and doing practical stuff with them. God wants us to be a church that reaches out, that seizes the day and that demonstrates the generosity and love of God. Where we plant church, but maybe not as we know it. And that's, of course, part of the challenge, isn't it? As I was walking up these mountains, I I couldn't bring myself to walk on the paths that were there, some of them. And I was trying to work out why that was. (laughs) I think part of it was me being really antisocial. I didn't want to meet anyone else and they tend to go on the path. It was probably a little bit of that. But as I kind of was shrugging my way up these blooming hills, it was really hard work, getting really exhausted and getting really soggy feet and thinking I should have had better boots and things like that. I was aware that actually what God is calling us to maybe is to new things where there isn't a clear path, there's not a road map. God is calling us to pioneer new models of church in this community, new ways of outreach, maybe new styles of worship new ways of praying, new ways of existing as community and building communities. And there is no express DNA map for that. We're slightly feeling our way as we go. And sometimes, as I was walking up this mountain, you would pick a path and get to a certain point and think, I've got to change my path here because I can't go that way. Actually, when you get to that point on the hillside, you realise, actually, I've got to slightly reorientate myself across the hill. But we can do that when the Spirit of God is leading us because we can trust him because he is the good shepherd who leads us. And in a sense, tonight is an invitation to join in with that. God is really gracious to us. We can just do church and have a lovely time on Sunday night and read the Bible and pray together and rock up once a week at church and we'll meet with God because God is gracious. But I believe that God is inviting us into a new adventure, to go to a new place to travel a new path, to walk a new way with him, slightly into the unknown. It might not always be really glossy. I can promise you it won't be always really easy. There will be times when your feet get wet, you're really tired, you're aching a bit. But I can also promise you, when you turn around and you see where we've come, you'll go, wow, that's amazing. We've come so far because God's doing new things. Actually, it's not about us and our journey, but it's about the other people that God is going to journey with us and whose hearts are going to be joined to what God is doing. And it's all about the generosity of God that inspires us. That passage we heard in uh, in Corinthians talks about generosity. 
You know, one of the things that God is speaking to us about as church is that whole thing of mission and stepping out into the unknown. And it's not always comfortable. He's going to get Joel. Where's Joel gone? He's down there. He's just going to come and share just for a couple of minutes about his experience. Joel's been a great friend of the church for many years and he was here when we planted this church. Started it back a few years ago. Joel's uh, a vicar school. Uh, one more year training and then he's going to be out there curate somewhere. Um, and he's been working in Southmead, which is a tough part of Bristol that I used to live right on the edge of. Uh, and he's been working there. And seeing God work in unexpected, unconventional, sometimes challenging circumstances. But when he was talking to me earlier on about some of this stuff, I just got really excited again. I thought, that's what I want to be doing. That's what I want to be seeing. Oh Lord, keep us from just simply perpetuating nice, pleasant church for us, when actually it's not just for us. One, two. Thanks, Tim. Powerful, hey? Do you get it? I mean, did you hear? Did you hear that? That was God, I think, speaking very clearly tonight. Very clearly. And it's just been so exciting being with you, Tim, over the last few weeks. And kind of, as you externally process some of this stuff to me, my heart just kind of leapt within me. It's so exciting what God is already doing. His mission is already happening, guys. It's already active. We're just called to join in with it. Here's a passage which I've been both burdened by and liberated by from St. Paul, Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord should be saved, but how are they to call on the one in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in the one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? Oh, that's tough, isn't it? (laughs) Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how will they believe without hearing it? That, um, there's, um, there's a narrative which is prevailing in our culture and our generation which says that we live these quiet lives and we never talk to anyone really and we buy things online we phone people so we don't have to see them face to face. We email them so we don't have to phone them. We text them so we don't have to talk to them. We go into a shop and we buy our things at a little machine so we never actually have to engage with anyone. It's the same narrative which is squeezing Jesus out of our conversations. I, I believe we are called to subvert that narrative. As Christians we are called to talk to people. Guys, the first step of evangelism is saying hello, I believe. And um, I'll just tell you a couple of stories about um, the church that I'm involved with in Southmead, which is in Bristol. It's a 1950s post-war suburb, very working class, although that is redefined at the moment. Um, Very acute need. Everywhere you go, there is very, very clear uh, physical, emotional and spiritual need. Um, we've been on a very exciting journey at our church over the last year. There, are, there is an average of about 40 people at the church. Um, frankly, it's, it, it's very traditional. It's nothing like we have here tonight. Okay? Now, over the last year, 10 people have left the church because they don't like some changes that have been changed. How many Anglicans does it take to do 
However, it all started last Easter when we did some games for these kids and we did some craft for these kids and, and these mothers of the children, it's so funny to see them every day they would get a bit closer to the door <laughs> just a bit closer and see what's happening and um, we started um, a conversation with some of those people which we're still having right now and um, it's, it's the, the story is not about numbers it's about people We're not interested in hordes of numbers. We're interested in people and engaging with people. One of them, dear friend of mine now, who I don't want to name, um, she used to um, deal drugs on the estate and she was known locally for all the wrong reasons, right? She was was a force (laughs) and she'd been in and out of prison, um, was likely to have a very... um, uh, short, short life um, mortality rate up, uh, if she carried on living the way that she was living and she has just like packs of children and um, and she just she just came and she had a cup of tea with us and she started a conversation and um, it's a conversation that that led us to need to start this um, this um, introduction to Christianity course um, which we did we were getting quite a few people at once having the same conversations we thought right let's get them in a room and let's get that conversation going anyway now I want to tell you that God has replaced the ten with ten new Christians these are completely unchurched people no previous experience of church other than baptism and death not weddings because they're too expensive in the church and um and they've just come through the door and their lives have literally been transformed and turned around by the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, my friend is now known for all the right reasons. Her neighbours used to, used to sort of not be able to shut her music up. Now they can't shut her up. She's just talking to them and she just, every week it seems like she's bringing a new neighbour. Um, not to the church service because like, she's not really into that, but because she wants to get prayer for these people. She's like, you come here and things will change. Like, you, you get prayed for and your, your life will change. You, know, you get off this, you get off that and all the rest of it. I, I believe in transformative God. God who changes lives. And I used to believe in that too, but I used to believe in the theory of it. Now I believe it because I've seen it. I've seen this stuff and, and it works. And it all starts with a hello. And that's, that's where you need to go. Anyway, wonderful problems at the church now is that we now have children. What do you do with children? So we've got ten new adults and we've got hundreds of children coming along. I mean, these are exciting problems. These are exciting problems to have associated with, with people coming to know Jesus. But I want to say it starts with a hello. And that's all you need to do. Just say hello to someone and see where it goes. Had a similar. It doesn't just happen in like the the poverty-stricken areas. Like God's not just breaking in there. I had a conversation with a woman in a shop in Widcombe the other day. I mean, it's amazing what you do when you leave silence, because people want to talk, and they then talk some more, and they talk some more, and this woman just began to pour out to me these big questions and. 
you know, I can't believe in a God where my brother-in-law is dying of cancer and you know, just a number of things and, and just led to a very, very interesting conversation which I'm sure will be followed up in a few weeks' time. Anyway, there you go. Just step out of the boat and say hello. Cheers, Joel. Both Joel and I really, um, there's this kind of phrase, Missio Deo, which is the mission of God. Go to theology school and they talk about this. And basically the mission of God is this. We've often thought that mission is us as Christians hitting people over the head with the Bible, sticking Why Jesus tracks into their bags when they're not looking, getting opportunities around somehow to talk about Jesus when they're actually you know, not expecting it. And we kind of do the ambush technique, we leap on them and then try and drag them into church. <laughs> and that's evangelism. The Missio Dei, mission of God, is actually, we've got it a bit wrong. We're, you know, we're often trying to do mission to people and trying to get God in and pull God in. When actually the whole point, I believe, is that God is already <laughs> out in Whitcomb doing loads, in these shops, in behind doors, in broken homes, where people are lying in bed at night crying, saying, God, are you there? Are you there, God? My life sucks. I'm really lonely. I'm really scared. I'm really fearful. I can't survive in my marriage anymore. I'm losing the plot with my children. And somehow there's something inside. They don't know who they're crying out to. But God's Spirit is moving out there. Connecting with the least and the last and the lost. And that shouldn't surprise us because that's what Jesus did all the time. Is he went out to people. He tried, tried to reach out with the Father's love. So Jesus is already out there working in our community. And the incredible thing is we're called to go and find out where he is and to see it and to recognize it and go and join in. That's a lot less scary when you see it that way. And actually there's a lot more kind of sense of you can see. And when you actually begin to look, Lord, will you give me eyes to see where you're working so that I can go and join in with your spirit? That's what Joel's been describing and it's transformative. We as church are called to mission. You know, we have a threefold thing here, in, up and out. We're called to be upward, to pray, to connect with God, to have incredible times of an open heaven and experience him in worship and breakthrough and power. And that will often be in a context of church and gather a place like this. We're an upward people. We connect with heaven. We're an inward people. We want to be, build community and family. And we're passionate. If you've been part of St. Matt's for any time, you know that we're passionate about building community. Eating together. Eating is a really important thing in the church. Always has been. Always will be. Family. That's what Jesus did. He went and ate in people's houses. He ate with them. He gathered. He had fun. They laughed together. They studied the scriptures together. They, they prayed together. We want to build community. Inward is really important. We reach up. We reach an arm around one another. But we also reach out. We're outward. We want to be missional. God is calling us to step out. To reach out. And that's going to take imagination. Cre- creativity. New thinking. It's going to take plans. It will take time. It will take energy. It will take resources. It will take the giving of self. And it's going to take money to do some of the things that we want to do. You know, we as a church, if you've been part of this church for any while or you're a visitor here, people often say to me, Tim, how the heck do I give money to this church? You don't take a collection. And we don't take a collection. We don't want to take a collection. Um, There were times when we do, perhaps for special events and for others, but we don't want to pass a bowl around because we don't want to perpetuate this thing of the church is always simply asking for money. And for visitors and guests, your visitors, 
you know, we want you to be a visitor. But if you're part of the family, we want to encourage you to think about giving. And many of you here generously do. And it's been wonderful to see what God has done in the parish in terms of raising uh, the money. But as we look at this building, we don't really care about buildings. But if God wants us to use this building, well, we want to steward it well, and that will involve costs. <laughs> the, the, the roof, definitely the boilers, you'll be pleased to know. Hands up if you'd like me to buy a new boiler for this church. Great. Keep your hands up. It's about £50,000. <laughs> hands start falling down a bit quickly. It's the reality, isn't it? But we don't want to get fixated on buildings. I mean, if God's given us this building, then we want it to be a useful resource to him. But it's not about buildings. It's not about projects even. It's about people. And we want to connect and love with God's love. Listen to that verse again. Uh, and I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. In 2 Corinthians 8. I'm going to read from uh, verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty uh, that you might become rich. I'm just overwhelmed continually, more and more and more, by the grace of God in my life. You know, as I stood on top of this mountain... I'm not ashamed to say, I wept for about half, half an hour and that turned into an hour. You know when you wanted to pray and do business with God, it's a bit inconvenient when all you can do is cry. It's a bit irritating. I was trying to pray for the church and pray for you and pray for what God wants to do. I just kept crying. I was like, Lord, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Please, I need to stop crying so that I can pray. And kind of God, in those sort of sneaky ways that he does, said, why, why are you crying, Tim? <laughs> I said, because of your ludicrously lavish love and grace. And I just sat there soaking in this God's love for me, undeserved. For us, undeserved. And when you know the spectacular grace of God in your life, then how can we do anything other than yield ourselves fully to God? And when we're trying to decide whether my tithe should be 9% or 10% or 12% or well, you know we're going to be step out and say 15 I've just got to the point where I think oh God do you know what it's all yours <laughs> everything I've got my house my car my family my rights my dreams my possessions actually God do you know what they're all yours do what you want with them God is so gracious back to us and gives us so much back but I I want to now hold things so lightly this building, this church, what God wants to do in our midst, to say, Lord, here we are, wholly available. Will you use us as you want? Will you give us new dreams, new aspirations, new longings, new hopes for this community, to, that it could be a place where people look at Wickham and say, you need to get up to Wickham, because that's where God's kingdom's at work. Here, right on our doorstep, we have the Dolmeads. And in this last week, I've just been connecting with people down there. There is unbelievable need right on our doorstep. Families whose children have no toys. I mean like 
No toys. Family whose children don't really have many clothes at all. Right on our doorstep here. Lord, how can we exist here and have a lovely time and, and actually just turn a blind eye to that? We need to see how we can reach out to those families. Some of those mums down there saying, we'd really love a place to come and hang out, but other places around where we just don't feel that we can fit in because we've always got the same clothes when we turn up and it's embarrassing. We've got to find ways of loving and reaching out and just being welcoming a community and connecting with them. All sorts of creative ways of being church in a whole new way. Trying to model something of the kingdom. To plant churches in new ways. And we're all invited into that adventure. I don't have the route map, but I know where God's calling us. And I want to step out into it. And I want to invite those who want to, to join in. And here's a hard thing for me to say, but I mean it. If you want a church that's really nice and easy and comfortable and does everything that you want all the time and is really, really lovely for you, then this probably isn't the right place to be. I don't just say that as a kind of silly thing, but actually what I feel we're called to is to step out, step out the boat, to reach out, to go on a new adventure, to reach out to the lost, to give sacrificially of our energy, our time and our finances to model something different, to be church rather than to do church. So I want to pray for us as we step into that. I'm going to ask Joel and the band to come up. And not for, I'm not looking for any response tonight other than to use, just in your heart say, Lord, what, what's my part in this? What are you calling me to? What might that look like for me and my family, for my circumstances, for my money, for my dreams, for my gifts? How might God want to use me? If you've got a particular heart to be involved in working with some of the families, these are instant, ish, instant issues that we've got. Do talk to my wife. She's trying to connect with some of those families down there. If you've got things and time and energy and gifts or whatever, you may want to give into that. Do talk to me or her. But let's just take a moment to pray. Let's just bow our heads. Lord, you say in Psalm 24, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, we want to be people that don't just sit in the valley, but press onto the heights to meet with you, to meet you face to face, to hear your will. Lord Jesus, you are building your church and the gates of hell won't prevail. Lord, would you forgive us when we become comfortable in an inappropriate way, when we just settle Lord, I believe you're calling us to be pioneers in this church, not just this church, but in the other churches in this city. To say, well, there's got to be more than we've got used to. Lord, we want to be a church that excels in worship because we love to worship you. But we want to also excel in generosity and giving away of self, giving away our resources, our time and energy, our money where necessary. We want to be a church that excels in being extravagantly loving to those outside to be a church that excels in, in speaking the prophetic word of God into dark places, that excels in taking light into the darkness, to serving practically. We want to be a people that excels in showing grace and love instead of just, uh, judgment and criticism. 
Lord, we want to be a people overflowing the fruit of the Spirit. We want to be a people that pray like people that are desperate for something to change in our nation. Because God, we are desperate for the situation to change in our nation. We are desperate for your kingdom to come in our city. Lord, and we're sorry when we become apathetic and we don't pray. We're sorry when our hearts don't burn with sorrow for the lost. We're sorry when our own comfort is more important to us than being prepared to step out sometimes. When fear of rejection causes us to remain silent. And Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your Father's love because your perfect love casts out fear. Lord, and all you're asking us to do is just journey with you into that great adventure of stepping into your will. Lord, to be kingdom people with our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we say, here we are, Lord, use us. We don't know what that means, Lord, fully, but here we are, Lord. Use us for your glory.